G'day, I'm Nick Bowditch. Welcome to the Ordinary Stories podcast. We believe the power of story comes from the unexpected, and great storytelling often comes from unexpected storytellers. So on this podcast, we've interviewed a diverse collection of normal, everyday people, all of whom have one thing in common, a story that is anything but ordinary. My guest today is Patrick. Patrick was a normal 22-year-old man who, in the course of trying to be a peacemaker in a nightclub in Sydney's King's Cross, was the victim of a one-punch attack he didn't see coming, something that's now been coined a coward's punch, that left him fighting for his life and eventually deciding that suicide was the only way he could stop the pain. Thankfully, though, he relearned how to walk, talk, and rebuild his life. The most amazing thing in all of this, though, is his incredible positivity, and just wait until you hear his answer to my final question. Year seven came around and I put my head down and I studied, but because I was, you know, a bit of a nerd, I guess, I got, yeah, you know, beaten up and kicked and... Um, you know, it was just a kind of perfect storm to break things down between a dad and his son. Started out a pretty standard night, you know, raising the glasses up, cheers, and here's to a good night. Somehow someone said, let's go to King's Cross. Well, I actually hadn't kissed a girl until I was in year nine, and that ended tragically. And <laughs> I used to like love as it so often does oh, in any yeah, nine. No, but yeah, this one was terrible. Okay, g'day Pat. Thanks for joining me today. Sitting down with me. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Pleasure uh, to be here. We we have a we have a really in depth kind of story, and and I feel like we could jump straight to it. But I feel like also. I want to know more about you and, and the listeners are going to want to know more about you before we get to the big crux of your story. So tell me the Patrick story. Where did you, where did you grow up? Mm. How did you grow up? Um, so I grew up in a family of four, majority, majority of my time in the Sutherland Shire um, from the age of, I don't know, say five. Um, parents settled down there and uh lived in a pretty pretty quiet uh place in bangor uh for 20 years or something i think and um yeah i don't know things were pretty things were pretty good um for 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 a while um i don't know um so I went to a primary school um, in Bangor, and that was rough. A lot of my primary, a majority of my primary school, uh, I was bullied, um, and for the first few years of my high school, I was bullied. And I think kind of same kind of thing was happening with uh, my sister. So it was a bit of a, I mean, it was kind of the norm to 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 dislike primary school, to dislike high school. But things got better um, when I was in year eight or year nine, kind of pushed myself to 
get amongst um, a few good people. I had I had great mates when I got to year seven, but a lot of the people who were in high school were wankers, <laughs> for lack of a better word, I guess. And uh, yeah, anyway, um, when I was younger, I always used to um, uh, go to work with my dad, who was a truckie, and uh, used to get up at. And I used to love it because it was this big bad you know, piece of machinery that you'd jump in, you'd have to climb like, you know, three steps to, to jump in and climb over the seats and all these big buttons. And, uh, and so I used to jump in the passenger seat, um, four o'clock in the morning, fall asleep for a couple of hours before or an hour before we got to the, the job. And, um, it would just be all day back and forth getting a truck that was loaded full of dirt and then um, you know, tipping it off and then going back to other people. It sound, probably sounds boring, but for me being in this, you know, as a, as a guy who liked machinery, it was sweet. And then that kind of formed my high school ambition, <laughs> uh, to become a civil engineer. My dad kind of said, uh, I remember in year seven, uh, to make sure I, worked with my mind and not my hands were his exact words because he had been a laborer and a truckie for most of his life mechanic he dropped out of high school when he was um in year nine to help his dad on the farm and he yeah he was just all physical labor for his whole life and for me i remember the exact moment he pointed out when we were driving around a um a tip tip site and he pointed at these two guys who were the only clean guys in the entire site and he pointed at them and said, you know, those guys are engineers, you know, that they're, they're the guys who make the big bucks. And the money wasn't, wasn't why I did it, but I used to have a little tip truck myself in the backyard, you know, jumping in the big machinery, seeing things getting built. And so, yeah, through high school, I uh, studied my ass off to be a, an engineer and then went and did that and then became an engineer. And yeah, here I am, age of 26, not an engineer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. So, um, the time jumping in out of your dad's truck and, and spending that time with him, was that more about the truck and the horn and the knobs and the levers and the size and the scale, or was it about spending time with your dad? Oh. So, I've always thought it's oh, it's a good question because dad and I haven't really had the best of a relationship. Um well, you know, in my eyes, I don't know what his thoughts are. Um, to me, the fond memories of it were getting into the big bad truck, um, you know, and dad was dad was really cool about it all. Like the whole experience was fun. You know, he'd let me get on the two-way radio and talk a bit of banter with all the truckies and, uh, you know, um, oh, I even got to sit on his lap. I don't know if, yeah, I even got to sit on his lap and turn the steering wheel when we were in the um, uh, tip site. So, yeah, it was fun, I guess. That yeah, sounds was, reasonably yeah, safe. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know how old I was, but I was <laughs> sitting on his lap while he had the, the, the pedals and, yeah, I had the big steering wheel. Uh, oh, and the big horn. So, that was pretty cool. I think it was just, yeah, it was good to spend time with dad. Um but at that point in my life, I didn't really think it was something special to cherish because you kind of assumed that he'd be around. 
you know. So it was just fun at the time. Mm. And he was a good dad, you know, jumping in the truck. That, well, I have fun, fond memories of that, really, to be honest. But Did your mum and dad, were they aware of you and your sister being bullied? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't so aware of how much my sister got bullied, to be honest. Um, I mean, I was in my own world of my own, yeah. you know, things. It wasn't until, you know, later that uh, after getting a bit closer to my sister, she kind of opened up about a few things. I still don't really know a whole lot of things. Um, and that's cool. You know, maybe one day she'll let me know. Maybe she won't. It, kind of where I'm at with her right now anyway is that uh, I'm just, I just like being her big brother. I always call her little sis. She's in my phone as little sis. So that's how we communicate. And then, um, yeah, it's good. But I think mum and dad knew that I was getting bullied through primary school. Um, definitely knew I was getting bullied in high school. High school was a different level. Primary school was more of just like teasing. Little, yeah. You know, and getting other little kids to hang out with me who were in kindergarten because they were annoying type and that was one instance and you know an ice a bit of an isolation mm. that's what primary school was so at the time it was pretty tough but high school kind of stepped it up to another level i even i even actually became um, mates with a couple of the guys that bullied me in primary school so that's kind of how nothing it was kind of in yeah different yeah but when it hit high school it was um i don't know just i wanted to be I wanted to make sure I didn't struggle or or worry about money in the same way my parents did and and do I guess in some in some instances. So I, you know, head down into the books to try and make sure I gave myself the best opportunity to be an engineer. In my year six graduation book, it said, you know, that um, bit it says, um, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know, the whole fire be a fireman or mine said like explicitly or specifically. Um, I want to be a civil engineer. So I was like dead set. That is what I want to be. And then year seven came around and I put my head down and I studied, but because I was, you know, a bit of a nerd, I guess I got, yeah, you know, beaten up and kicked and, um, yeah. Yeah. And then it got a bit worse with other things that happened in high, in high school. And, you know, the people that kind of bullied me didn't really step back and be like, oh, well, you know, Pat's going through a few things here. They took it to another level, um, you know, even became parts where they were like, ah, you had to, um, there was this one guy who wanted to, to beat me up really bad and he started to, he was in a, a bit of a gang or he was in something, you know, and he started to get his people together at school and I had to try and find people to help me. Nothing kind of came of it, luckily. It it went on for a while, uh, but, you know, things got better in year 11. Year 11 was good. Year 11 and 12 were pretty good. Um, yeah, and high school and uni was great. In in the time where, you, where you're under siege like mm. that and you have to front up every day at school mm. and, you know, you... You don't want to tell everyone. You certainly don't want to tell teachers because then they'll just it'll be worse for you and mm. or your sister as well and whatever. What did you find joy in 
enjoying. I had a few. I had a couple. I had some good mates um, who um, would get me through. Um, one of them lived right down the road from me, and I would walk to school with him every day and come home. Actually, one of the one of the fun things was um, after school. You know, once you got through it, walking home. You know, it was a, I don't think it was like a five or a 10 minute walk home, but um, my mate Ian and I would spend hours uh, down in the, this little bushland, um, like throwing rocks or trying to turn over boulders or dig things up or I don't know. We'd, we would be there from four till night time and then we'd be like, oh, well, we should go home. So that was pretty good. I had a couple of good mates, you know, him and a few other guys. Um, and soccer was good. I don't really remember too many. I remember just a couple good. And I think, uh, yeah, a couple good people got me through. Music got me through. Um, yeah, I love music, acoustic, anything that can kind of just calm me down. Yeah. Um, and even, you know, to this day, I'm sure it's with a lot of people where you can uh, listen to a song and it would bring up old memories good or bad so a lot of these songs that you know you hear flashbacks to the I don't know, 90s when i was in high school i think or no a little bit later um yeah m music helped and a few good mates helped uh get me through all that kind of stuff when when did your relationship with your dad change um uh, well I think um, as I, you know, like I, I um, have reconnected with, like I, I stayed, I've stayed in contact with dad through mum and dad's uh, divorce. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it, I, I kind of just didn't, like he left, like he, you know, the, 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 the agreement was, you know, and I'll come back to your question, but the agreement was, um, I guess, with mum and dad that, um, you know, d uh, dad left, you know, mum had the house and, and I don't know what financial things went on or whatever, but, you know, I, I remember one of the first things I said to dad when things got a bit weird was I'm not going to take my grandparents, my, my kids to see two different grandparents. That was like my thing. I was like, it's not happening. And he's like, no, it won't happen, son. Anyway, it did. And, um, yeah, I kept in contact with him and uh, and through keeping contact with him and um, the things that I've said, he kind of remembers a lot of things and he was, for th when I was like a wee little type, you know, kind of lad, I uh, he remembers a lot of those kind of things that I don't remember. But when I was getting older, I wanted him to show a bit more love and presence because as I got older and other dads were always at their kids' soccer games and, you know, hanging out all the time and my dad, you know, to his credit, I guess, was trying to work hard to, that's what he always said too, but, you know, you're a kid, you don't, no, you just think money is, you know, it'll be there and that's not the, 
but for him, he, you know, he worked six days a week. Then on a Sunday, he would relax or he'd do, um, you know, yard work or whatever. Um, so the, I think the, the point was when I was getting older and I wanted more, but he was still working the same as what he was when he was younger that I didn't notice. Um, and I was playing soccer and he wouldn't come to my games, but other, other dads were there and, you know, dad wouldn't know a lot of my friends' names. So I started not being able to have conversations with him because he just wouldn't know. Like if I would mention, you know, Ian or whoever, he knows Ian, um, but to a, maybe he only knows one or two of my mates and he doesn't know anything else, didn't know anything else that was going on, I guess. And he was a very cranky Italian man, very scary. And, uh, you know, it was just a kind of perfect storm to break things down between a dad and his son and and dad and his daughter and husband and wife, I guess it was just, he was just angry. He, and I don't remember too many of the good times during that period. Just remember a lot of anger and I kind of got a lot of that anger from him. Um, yeah. Does, does your mum speak about him in good terms? Um, they don't, mum doesn't really speak about him at all, too much at all, really. Um, probably the only times is if I've ever brought him up um, or if, because I'm also starting to catch up with dad's side of the family now it's because when things happened, I lost contact with dad's side. No one, no one reached out to me and I didn't reach out to them. I mean, I wasn't my, I didn't feel like it was my responsibility, but um it wasn't really on the top of my mind. I didn't really consciously think that I'd lose contact with people. And no, mum didn't, mum doesn't bring him up, doesn't talk about him in a negative way, but doesn't want to have, you know, she's kind of put that part of her life to, to rest, I guess, you know, but I don't know if dad, dad on the other hand, doesn't talk negatively about anyone really wants to catch up with my sister, but I think dad still holds it a bit closer to his heart and he's just got a lot of, he's got a lot, he's got, he's got a lot of things to work on, I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I want to help him, but, um, sometimes it's, you know, you, you you're the child. Yeah. Well, you can only kind of help someone if they if they're willing to help themselves too. And I think that I mean, dad's in dad's kind of caught, caught backed into a corner sometimes with where his skills are at, and where his mind's at, and where he's you know, it's just yeah. how it is. Having that experience and that relationship with your dad down the track when you're a dad, do you? Do you worry that you will replicate the same behavior, the same relationship situation with your kids, or are you determined for it not to be that way? How do you think, how do you think his parenting will determine your parenting? Mm -hmm. I don't worry. I don't worry that I will be angry like he was because um, since my, since you know, my assault that we might get to 
uh, happened and the, and the things that came from that, I am, I never get angry. I, I think I'm, if you had, if you had met me before, um, my assault, I, I would click over the silliest of things and I would, um, make people cry unintentionally, uh, yell and scream and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but I'm not too worried that how dad's, what dad was like will affect me. I think I'm kind of, you know, in terms of if, and hopefully when I have kids, um, I'd just be worried that was it dad and mum's kind of strict Italian upbringing that kind of helped me be a bit more respectful or well-grounded or, you know, was it the sum of life's occurrences that kind of brought me to where I am? So I don't want to, I don't want to be a parent that does things because, um, you know, someone never did it to me or I will kind of go through it on my own, I guess, and with my partner and learn how to do all that type of stuff. You'll, you'll be horrified as I am regularly when I open my mouth to say something to my children and my dad starts talking. Oh, really? <laughs> and, or my mum. So I wonder what can you see yourself saying that your mum or your dad, let's say your dad, yeah. said to you often enough that you would remember it and I'll give you an example. Okay. My, I'm from a big family, one of seven kids. So dinner time was something like pigs at a trough, really. <laughs> and I can remember it's imprinted in my brain that my dad would say, put your face over the plate and the plate over near you. It seems like a simple thing, right? But he would say it so often to one of the seven of us, you know, each, each session that it's just burned on my brain. And I say it to my kids all the time, despite myself, because I'll never bloody say that, you know, you, you just say these things, you're never going to be like your parents and then you just turn out to be. So w what was something he would say that you think would be worthwhile telling your kids? Funny enough, I think my dad was the main influence of, uh, how I treat um, like a, a girl, um, or you know, girls in general. I think he, he somehow he he always told me to treat women with respect. Um, uh, and I say somehow because you know, Dad had some gems in there with the whole um, uh, work with your mind and not your hands and. Um, yeah, tweet, treat women with respect and, uh, you know, I had some ups and downs with that anyway, but I, I don't really know. Like, see, when I was, when, like, dad, I don't really remember many things when dad was around type thing. Mm. Um, apart from those couple things there, the soccer every now and then, I would, I don't know, I hope, hopefully I don't start, to, you know, saying, you know, go to your room type, but in a really strict, ridiculous way. But at dinner and all that kind of stuff. Do you don't really remember? Mm. No. You said he would say, 
and and train you to treat women with respect and kindness and is that something he said or something he did i think something he said yeah um he said it a lot uh and i guess he would also enforce within his household um respect and boundaries and and things um it was more so what he said on a f- on a f- number of occasions when I was in primary school, high school. We went out on his motorbike. That that actually was another good memory. He had a motorbike. Um, yeah, that was awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't know. More so through what he said. So there was a couple of times at home where it wasn't good. Yeah, uh, there was one time um, where. Yeah, there was one time. I mean, I don't know what happened be- between him and my sister. So I, I just, I never knew, and I don't know. And if, if I'm not sure. But there were other times, you know, where Dad kind of got a bit angry. Um, and there was one time in particular where I was getting uh, bullied at um, at a party I was at because because a girl. I was talking to the guy who always bullied me liked this girl. He wasn't at the party. Somehow someone called him up and said I was talking to this girl. And So then him and 10 guys rocked up to this party and tried to jump the fence at a house party to... How old were you? um, 15 or 16, I think. Um, Yeah, and then they rocked up there and luckily the parents of the party didn't let them in and you know, there were a lot of people around to try to stop them from jumping the fence. But they waited outside for me to leave. Nothing happened when I left, thankfully. I don't know how. I, I, someone must have dropped me off at home. But when I did get home, that same guy called my phone, kept calling my phone. And I was, you know, had just finished explaining what had happened to my parents. And then he called my phone and I was talking to him and my dad wanted to tell this guy what for but you can't let your parents fight your battles like that because it will definitely make things worse so i had the bully in my ear and the phone and i had my dad in front of me yelling give me the phone and accidentally told my dad to f off and i don't know if it was meant for the bully or if it was meant for dad but i just couldn't handle it how much of you being a less angry person now is about the assault which we'll talk about and how much are you determined not to be your dad? Oh, I, uh, I definitely, I don't want to be yeah anything like uh, what my dad was. Um, he had some good words of encouragement that I've already said, um, and that was great. And encouragement's always good, and that's kind of come stock standard if you want to be a dad. Um, I, I kind of val- it doesn't actually. Well, it should, but it's it's you know they're the you know minimum requirements to be a dad in my opinion. It's the things that you go above and beyond to take that time out to spend more time. I think I don't know how hard it'll be. Like I'm not I'm not there yet, right? Like I'm kind of worried that with my ambitions to for what I want to do and be, I'm afraid of 
what it will come to crunch time um, on choosing to work that late night or those late, you know, those late nights for a couple of weeks and put at risk what my kids will think or how they'll feel because it won't be a one-off late night or a one-off couple of weeks, you know, it'll be, it, that's, that's what it will be like if I choose. Uh, yeah. And that scares me. Um, what was the other? What's of all the, I mean, I want to ask you one more thing about your dad <laughs> and then we'll leave it. What, what's the, what's the good stuff about my dad that you want to grow into yourself or you would, you want to remember, I mean, you know, you said the, the few experiences as a kid where, you know, taking on his moto or, or in the truck or, or whatever, or the soccer. But what's the really good stuff that was and still is in him that you would love to hang on to? Oh, he, um, it's funny when I, when I made the choice to pursue um, a social network that I'm trying to develop, he was... He unwaveringly just supported me kind of thing. Like I called him and uh, said, Dad, this is what I want to do. This is, I'm afraid, and this is what I want to spend my money on. Uh, what should I do? And he said, you know, son, if it, if it makes you happy and, you, and it's what you want to do, then go for it. You know, don't have regrets. And I think in terms of pushing me to be, the, to be my best in, you know, academically and to be an engineer and, you know, keep me in the right, uh, the right space. He he kind of pushed me. So I think in doing what's best for me for my future, he was he was good at that, I guess. Um, and also his struggles kind of also showed me that I don't want to be like that. So. Yeah, they, those those kind of things summed, summed up. That's what I would be definitely passing down to my kids. It seems to me in the, the little the little bit that I know about your mum that this is pretty much chalk and cheese. Mm. What's yeah. uh, what's your mum like? Yeah, she's cool. Yeah, mum's good. Um, uh, you, you're a, you're a mummy's boy, aren't you? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I. Uh, Still gets me um, pretty emotional in uh, when we were, like when I was living at home. Uh, we kind of, you know, everyone banter's and you start to dis disagree on things because I know better type thing. But uh, yeah, it still gets me pretty emotional in the in the period after my assault when I was recovering. Uh, the things that she ha she did and 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 that. She got the phone call and, you know, she was just living on her own. I don't know where my sister was at the time. Dad, you know, mum and dad had split up by this point. And, uh, yeah, just the things she had to do to get me through. And I, you know, don't know what I'd do if she wasn't around. Um, yeah, she always bends over backwards for to help my sister and I out. So, but I kind of have taken that. I do a lot of things to protect her though. I don't tell her about difficulties with family, like other people, um, or if she's struggling in other things, I don't tell her, you know, everything's all cheery in my life type thing. You know, everything's going fine, mum, type 
So, yeah, I, I'm definitely a mama's boy. Yeah, that's for sure. Do you think your mum knows, so, say things aren't that great in your life at a certain period and you're still all sunshine and lollipops to her? Do you think she knows that you're bullshitting your way through that for her sake or she just absorbs that and Pat's happy so I'm happy? Uh, I think she can kind of tell that certain things aren't right because I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, unfortunately sometimes. Um, (laughs) But she doesn't – she definitely doesn't know the full crux of – whatever's happening at that point. She'll just know that, you know, I'm not my happy, you know, perky type self. I'll be a bit, you know, mellow and yeah, you know, have a good night type thing. Whereas I'm usually uh, at my best parts pretty happy. So yeah, she, she'll, she'll know, but she definitely doesn't know. She'll just know I'm not happy. Why? Why do you, why do you keep it from her? Uh, well, because, you know, mum's had to be there a lot of the time for my sister and I, for everything. And she's always the, you know, she, you know, is always having to be the brave one. You know, she doesn't have a dad anymore. Um, and her mum is, has got dementia. And so mum had to be the strong one as well as my auntie had to be the strong pair in that situation. So I just don't want to be one extra worry for her. So, and, and, and for my sister, you know, so for both of them, I want to be the bigger person to just deal with my own stuff in the, in the best way I can and not add worry and then be there for them too, if they need. If your dad was, in the home and in the life of your mum and your sister, would you not do that? Do you feel like you're filling that role? Um, don't know. Maybe. Um, if well, well, yeah. Well, that's a good question. Maybe when. Uh, dad wasn't around and I had to then, you know, I think dad, dad, mum and dad separated when I was 16 or something about there, 17 maybe. And, you know, then, then all the outside chores and all that kind of thing, mowing the lawns and, and um, making sure everything worked and all the tools and, um, you know, upkeeping and helping mum all became was all on me which was fine i did all that i did a lot of that stuff anyway but um it it yeah it um quickly kind of became my responsibility on, on my own accord to to look after mum and my sister i always i like i mean i always wanted to look after my sister that was we're we're 10 months apart 11, 10 and a half months apart. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dom was an accident, <laughs> but she, uh, and she knows that in some sense, in a, in a kind sense. Now. <laughs> yeah. In a kind sense, she says it. 
Um, and then, you know, for a month and a half, we're the same age. It's real weird. I used to think it was normal, but turns out it's not. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, so I could be the fact that, you know, mum doesn't have a man to help out where she needs to do chores and all that kind of stuff. And When, when you're 17 and your, and your parents split... Did you feel more sad or more relieved? I, well, both really. So I, um, mum, mum, you know, truthfully mum was a bit unhappy, I guess, um, for a little while. And um, I didn't like the way certain things happened and how she was treated. Um, So it was a relief that, that happens, uh, and I think it's the I think it was the right thing to do, and for for, for mum's happiness. Um, and I was sad to see to see dad, you know, have to make it on his own type of thing, and um, yeah, and not have his kids around. I guess I kind of thought of it from his point of view. I thought of it from both people's point of view. It was better for mum. And um, dad, you know, it was just an unfortunate, sad situation that he didn't have his kids around, I guess. You, you said before that you wear your heart in your sleeve, and I know this is to be true. <laughs> and, you, and you speak from a place of great empathy a lot. And I know that's true because we've had these conversations before. And you seem a bit apologist for your dad and f- for everyone, yeah, you want to keep everyone happy, you're a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. But you also told me once that prior to the assault, you weren't such a great, empathetic, kind guy. What were you? Oh. <laughs> um, uh, I know, I have like v- really vivid memories of how I, you know, the kind of man that I was as, with a girl that I dated at the time before my assault and, and, and the people and the kind of guy I hung, uh, who I was, I was a bit of a loose um, center of attention type of loud, um, you know, get drunk for silly things, um, look at me type of guy. And I, I, was somewhat empathetic but the way the kind of man i was um with this girl that i was dating um was terrible and i used to i never used to have mates when i was younger i mean i was bullied and and all that so when i finally did have mates at the same time that i was dating this girl i would want to make sure that I hung out with mates as well as the girl. In my mind, I thought that was fair at the time, but the way I treated her and the kind of guy I was, I mean, yeah, I, so I think I have some regrets about how I treated this girl. Um, yeah, and the, and the kind of guy I was, yeah, it was loud and, and, and center of attention type of. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head because... <laughs> Right now, you are the complete antithesis of, yeah, antithesis I know. of that. It's weird. Like, oh, 
uh, so it prompts me to think and to ask you, are you that guy? But having been through a trauma and, and consciously trying not to be that guy, or is the kind, empathetic, quiet, articulate, but deliberate person the real Patrick and before you were pretending to be the lad? Um, I think who I was then was a culmination of who I was hanging out with and the lack of people I hung out with prior and what I felt like I was missing out on. So when the time finally came that I had these, you know, good people around me, um, I embraced having fun party goer type of friends and, and the life that I, you know, didn't have. Like when I was younger, all the popular kids used to get whatever they, you know, wanted. And um, even, you know, even, even, um, even, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I'm a bit of a romantic type guy. So even to the point where they, would get, you know, they could kiss whatever girl and I hadn't, hadn't, I don't think I had ever, well, I actually hadn't kissed a girl till I was in year nine and that ended tragically. And <laughs> I used to like- love, As it so often does oh, in year yeah, nine. No, but yeah, this one was terrible. This, um, and, and then I think what happened after my assault was, and what happened through that, I did a lot of reflecting. I lost a lot of, mates because they you know people weren't there and i think i don't know whether that was an age thing or what but people weren't there for for the right reasons or they weren't there enough you know i just sat in bed we'll get into that but i you know so through all that reflection and and the lonely times and um what i felt was more important and the friends that were truly there for me, I consci consciously chose the life and the people that I wanted in it. And I have no idea how I became this like deliberate, reflective, you know, empathetic guy that just. Uh, who would you? Who would you rather be? Oh, I like who I am. I'd like to be a. Li I'd like to get a little bit more energetic, <laughs> because. After the assault and things, um, um, I was pretty scared of going anywhere, um, you know, get the shakes. I couldn't even, and it sucked because I, I remember one time I was with my sister and I couldn't, uh, you know, I, I have to defend my sister, you know, type thing. So we walked and we, I couldn't walk past a bar or, and it was only at five o'clock in the afternoon. There was only a couple of guys there, but I used to shake. So my energy levels when I'm out and around big crowds don't favor me. They kind of tend to diminish, unlike what they used to be. When I was in a big crowd and I'd go out with mates, I'd you want to be the center of yeah, it. Yeah, center of it. And I'd love all that kind of stuff. But now, yeah, I'm a bit more of an um, introvert, introverted type of guy. So let's get to it. Mm. Um, the day that 
Pat 1.0 became Pat 2.0. What was the day leading up to this salt like? I I remember the afternoon and it was pretty standard. Uh, Again, I had organised and I I think I was with another eight mates and, um, yeah, I'd organised to meet at one of their houses because I had just been told the week before that I had been accepted as a graduate engineer to the company I was working for. And that was the company that I always wanted to work for. I was an undergrad, but more to the point, we all kind of got together and most of us had something to celebrate anyway. And we started, uh, like the tradition we had, it was set up for a, a fun night. And, um, we had, uh, yeah, a few drinks and we headed out to Newtown and um, plan not never planning to go to King's Cross because most of us hated it, including myself. But, uh, yes, it started out a pretty standard night, you know, raising the glasses up, cheers, and here's to a good night. How old are you? How old was I then? Uh, 22. And so, lads drinking at a pub in Newtown seems fairly innocuous. Mm. How did you end up in King's Cross? So, and and I should just say for the listeners outside of Australia, uh, Newtown is a real hipster kind of uh, cosmopolitan, almost hippie part of inner city Sydney, and King's Cross is. Oh, God, how would you even describe it? The seedy underbelly of Sydney. Yeah. I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be, but there is a lot of, there was a lot of organised crime and just yeah, prostitution, nightclubs. Mm. It's it's pretty ordinary. It's yeah. a lot better now than it used to be. But but to go from Newtown to King's Cross is a little bit of a journey Yeah. Um, at a time where you are a fair few drinks in at mm. Newtown. How, how did you end up fatefully in King's Cross? Oh. I think it was a, I think there are nights where you don't set an end time. You know, it's just a night and you go out and whatever happens, happens type thing. So Newtown was our initial destination. It was meant to be our total. There's a lot of bars and things in Newtown. Somehow someone said, let's go to King's Cross. Don't know how or why. Someone mentioned it. No one was in any, uh, with it, no one had any objections. We were all just happy, um, and but by the time we got there, we took a couple of taxis, and so I was, I was there was eight of us or nine of us, and there was only four of us, including myself, who actually went into a club when we got there. I think a few of us had some mackers, and at that point in time, some people called it quits and went home, and me, I was fine to keep going, so we went into Candy's nightclub. Yeah. Were you drunk? Yes, I was. And so in this nightclub, like describe, like is it is it rough? Yeah, uh, it's not, well, it's uh, a lot of, it was the younger crowd, I think. So I was about 22 um, and it, there was a lot of 18, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds um, who were in there and um, – you know, you walk down the stairs and it's this underground looking type of club. Um, 
you know, a few seats around the outside of this dance floor, a, a dark bar to the right-hand side and, you know, you're either standing on the outside or you're dancing and, and that's, you know, it's a bit dark and, you know, average in there, I guess. Sounds pretty standard though. Like. Yeah, for King's Cross. It's <laughs> Full? Yeah, uh, yeah, from memory. When does your memory stop? Um, memory stops. So I, I've got brief parts of my memory, um, but the memory, majority of the memories um, around the first part of the altercation, then me leaving after that settled and then coming back when it sparked up again. That's my memory of that night. Yeah. That's mostly it, really. Um, you know, when it, when it first started, um, a friend of mine was a bit jumpy and, and, and antagonizing as he has had done before in other, other nights. And uh, these two guys came up and started a bit of an argument, argument when I was still with my mate at the time. And I told everyone to settle down and so did another one of my mates. Just We all settled everyone down and they walked away. But... At that point in time, I turned to my mate who started the argument or who was involved in it. Uh, let's just go on the dance floor, have some fun. Um, but he didn't want to. He, he stayed there with his other friends. And I was like, screw this. I liked to dance. And, uh, and yeah, went on the dance floor, started dancing. And next thing I remember is those guys came back and started getting in a bit of a push and shove with my friend. So I ran back over to pull my friend away. And the last thing I remember is getting hit in the back of the head or side of the head. And then I fell down. And, and then the rest is just recounts of what people told my mum and, you know, the paramedics and, yeah, brief snippets of flashbacks. So your mate who, who starts the strife in the first place, you know, you have a you have a you have a word to him, and you say, "Listen, it's not worth it. It's okay. You know, we're out, we're having fun." You go away to the dance floor, take your eyes off that situation. What did he then provoke them coming back? From yeah, he 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 was jumping up and down. He was still a bit. He was still. He wasn't. He was still a bit. Uh, you know, aggravated when I left to go to the dance floor um, and he didn't, he doesn't let things go and yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, have surprised me if whatever he did next got them back over. He was jumping, he was still jumping, he was still looking at them and I just didn't want to be, I just wanted to have a good night, a fun night. So you being, you know, conscious of, you mate getting into a little bit of strife. Come over to pull him out of it, really, to, to stop it again. Mm. And someone means to hit you because they recognise that now you're with this guy. That's. Do you think they meant to hit you? I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, they were, No one was ever charged or, or anything. Um I don't know. I don't know if it was something intentional. It kind of, I don't really have any hatred towards 
the people who hit me and push me uh for some reason um i have a bit more of a an an a bit more of of pain um after what happened i guess my focus was more directed to after i was hit and i hit the concrete and i was left i was i was there bleeding out uh i was in a pool of my own blood the three mates that i was with that night including the guy that i went in to go help all went home they didn't stick around they weren't by my side they didn't come with me in the ambulance they you know if they were whether they were a bit intoxicated i guess but i was hit i was down i was bleeding out and they all went home that's the bit that kind of baffles me um and i kind of made peace with it i don't tell i don't retell this story with any kind of hatred i just tell it how it was and um the questions are always going to still be there like why did they leave and how could they i don't think i'd ever be you know i don't think i'd ever be you know to the point where I'd leave a friend who was knocked out and just walk off and go home. Yeah. I hope I wouldn't be. Yeah. Particularly if if they've been injured because of my shenanigans. Well, yeah, that's right. You know, like. Okay, we'll get back to them. So you're lying in the middle of a dance floor in a club in King's Cross... Dying. Thanks for spending time with Patrick and I today. As you can see from part one, Pat's story is pretty amazing. And part two of Pat's story details how he has rebounded with resilience, strength, and forgiveness. Patrick's story is really, really amazing, and I can't wait to bring it to you in the next episode of the Ordinary Stories podcast. If you would like to continue the conversation, head to our Facebook page, just search Ordinary Stories on Facebook. And we would love it if you could head to iTunes and leave a rating and or a review for the Ordinary Stories podcast there too. Thanks for listening to the ordinary story. <laughs> now I'm giggling. Um, thank you for listening. There's a couple of ways that you could be that you can be part of what we're creating. Um, on iTunes, you can you can or you can rate the show on iTunes, or you can rate the show on iTunes <laughs> and review, rate and review the, and leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. This should not be this difficult.